Hello, this is Gabriel Thibault with Breaking Expectations, a podcast about the joys of disability and all that it includes. Here you'll hear stories and roundtables of individuals who have gone through different journeys in their lives than the one that you think you'll take. But the twist of it is, if you're lucky enough, you'll take this journey too. And I'm Bob Benson. Uh, I'm a student and a disability advocate. Uh, you may hear a little bit of noise as I'm speaking, what I call Darth Vader noises. I'm also on a ventilator. So you may hear the ventilator helping me to breathe. Um, I'm Kate Welsh. Um, I'm a disability activist and artist in Toronto, Ontario. Um, and I make art around disability. And um, I, yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. I'm Donald Berry. And I'm here with my pal. I'm a person with a disability. And also a published journalist and writer. My name is Ingrid, Palm, Ingrid Palmer. I am a social activist, a public speaker, and a person with a disability myself. I'm Adam Grinoon. I'm an artist with a disability. I um, go by the handle ARC23 on the internet. And sometimes my wheelchair, uh, I call it Wheels 970. How have your experiences out in the world with your mobility aids helped in imagining and or helping you to create a world without ableism. It's weird, but I feel like just like by existing and doing the things that I do in my life, um, I'm able to have conversations with able-bodied people um, and having them like get to know me one-on-one actually like helps reduce ableism. I like that you brought that up, Kate, how just living our lives is helping to do that because I find also when I'm out and using my white cane, like especially children, because they're so curious, right? And they'll come up and they'll want to know, why do I have it? And how does it help me? And they want me to demonstrate and sometimes they want to try it. And it's such a wonderful change than from when it, how it used to be where parents would be like, oh, no, and don't ask that and don't say that and don't touch it now. You know, sometimes I even have parents saying, oh, my child was wondering, would you mind? And I just love that. I think that's such a paradigm shift that just needs to increase where people realize that the more that we communicate and talk and the more that we get to know each other and understand each other, the better um, place and world that we, we built. Yes, thanks for having me. I wonder, Adam, do you want to jump in? Well, it's hard because I think we're always going to have ableism. But the one thing I've done is, if you watch any of my, my videos on my YouTube channel, I try to actually use video to show um, what it is actually like driving around in a wheelchair and also taking photos and doing artistic, creative ways to actually make people think about the discussion, talking about disability and stuff, unless it's done in a creative way, 
can sometimes be like boring and just sort of, you know, just it it um it sort of gets filtered out in the brain as you know like something that can't be done like can't be changed enough, but when you actually use people's other senses that wouldn't necessarily be looking at disability and you actually have them pick up and in investigate, um, then they actually um, see disability in a different light. I remember once um, when I was able to on the CBC, I was, we were doing a Jane Rock and Stuff, and I knew that most of the listeners would not come to the James Walk. And I challenged them as they were um, traveling around the city to just look and see how many shops there were with stairs that would be inaccessible to people with a disability. And because I had shared my Twitter um, 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 username with the people at this CBC, I was able to come home and realize that there was a whole thread of people that wrote on Twitter. And one of my favorites was, I was walking home through Little Italy, which is notoriously inaccessible. And, the, and this um, lady counted 20 shops with steps and you know it just and you know that was just one of several people that actually chimed in on the conversation and probably for a few minutes i actually had i even if i had like 10 percent of the listeners that were listening to cbc here now that afternoon if I have them thinking about disability for even a few seconds, that was a plus. And that's it exactly, Adam. I think that the more that we bring up uh, disability issues in our everyday lives, in our conversations, in whatever spaces that we're occupying, if we bring attention to um, the challenges that persons with disability face or if you're having a conversation about something at work and there's an opportunity to bring up an issue of inequity or point it out, um, that that really serves our whole community well because unfortunately, a lot of times we don't even come to mind. Um, and a lot of tables and spaces that I've sat at, when I bring things up, everyone's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Because, um, you know, that's a real unfortunate reality that sometimes we don't even come to mind. So I think the more that we can uh, make our presence felt in our everyday lives, in our conversations, in whatever spaces um, that we occupy, that that will help to push um, disability issues forward and to help to make us more present in people's minds. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great, Ingrid. And, uh... Carry on from your point, Adam. Uh, I was just imagining uh, you were zipping along in your wheelchair. Um, Luke Anderson, who founded the Stopgap Foundation, um, they provide ramps free to businesses who have a, a single step at the door. 
to make them accessible. Or in some cases, where they have two steps, they'll even build a composite ramp. Yeah. And he recorded um, uh, a video, uh, The Adventures of Ramp Man. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and um, so uh, I thought that was hilarious. And he was wearing a superhero cape. I thought was, again, a splendid uh, way of reconfiguring disability into a superpower. One thing with Top Gap, you've also, there is still some cultural bias from getting around. See, me and Luke are friends, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I helped them canvas my old neighborhood. And and, uh, and it was a beautiful, nice day, a bit warmer than this, you know, pre-social distancing. We were able to hang out and have a conversation. And so we, we had just canvassed a, a restaurant and, and stuff. Um, and Adam and they were like, Oh, um, they were like, well, you're going to have to speak to the manager and the manager not here right now. He might be back in a while. And then we were just chit-chatting. About 20 minutes later, the lady comes out and goes, oh, I hope you guys aren't holding vigil out here till the manager comes. And Luke just goes, yes. Adam, I hope that wasn't a restaurant you wanted you wanted to ever eat at because mm -hmm. I don't think they're ever gonna sign up for a ramp. And it's it's stuff like that that just. But I think Adam, like I I think though um, when people uh, have disabled people in their lives. They're more willing to yeah. um, to be like working against ableism because they're oh, a personal connection. So I think as people with disabilities, part of our like duty or whatever to our community is um, when we're in spaces, like be it at work or in social spaces or whatever, is to just like own our disability and talk about it yeah. and talk about what it's like, not necessarily talk about our bodies or anything like that, but just talk about like what it's like navigating the world in a wheelchair or with a walker or whatever. And the more that we do that, the more that we can get people around us who are allies. Like I think that all my able-bodied friends have learned to be allies because of the way that I talk about things. Yeah. I ask them like, if they are inviting me to some place, I ask over and over, what's the stair situation like? Where's the bathroom? All those things. Mm -hmm. And eventually, years later now, my friends just automatically say those things without even being prompted. And same with my family, right? Is like, when you have someone with a disability in your life, who's open and willing to talk about it, I think that um, that interpersonal experience really helps people kind of like understand and really helps them know how to interact because a lot of people are not bad intentioned at all. It's just that we all grew up in a world 
where ableism exists. It's not, it's not necessarily that people are bad intention. They just uh, don't know better. Ableism, unfortunately, is still embedded in a lot of places. And, and well, some, you're saying it's unintentional sometimes. I'm sure there are places where, where it might be intentional. They're not, people are not willing to bend or change and accommodate. And you find that some, some places? I think people who, who are intentionally not accommodating have the excuse of money or time or whatever. Um, and it's because it goes back to like us living in this society where um, in capitalism where like people can't make accommodations unless they have things like money and time and things like that. It's often not that people don't want to make the accommodation. It's that if they say, oh, I can't make an accommodation, it's that they are stuck in this position in society that has money and resources and the built environment and ASL interpretation that's not, um, that's not properly funded and things like that. So it's almost like um, when you get when you get behind like the the initial oh we can't accommodate you and understand the whys about it 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 comes down to like people don't have the resources and the government doesn't have the will mm-hmm. or like organizations don't have the will they'd rather put in a fancy other thing and not see that actually accommodations are um, necessary for the world. Yeah, I've certainly seen plenty of uh, cases where that was a very true case. Uh, I'm thinking of, um, there's a a typical mid to high rise apartment building where there's a gentleman who uses a four wheeled scooter and the back door um, has level entrance from the parking lot. Then you open the back door and there's a step down into the building. It's about a seven inch step. And then there's a long hallway. So it would be easy to raise the whole hallway over about 20 feet so that there's no more step. But the management have no interest in doing that. And very small cost to put in an automatic door opener. So this one gentleman has created his own wooden ramp. He wedges the door open, you know, locks it in place with a a metal bar while he gets himself in and out of his four-wheel scooter. And he solved the problem for one person, but the management for less than $5,000 could solve it for all time for everybody. And then there was the day he came out, he, when he's out and about, he puts the ramp somewhere out of sight and he came back and somebody had taken the little wooden ramp. And he was absolutely stuck. Uh, By comparison, when 
handled by the management of the building, the problem would have been eliminated utterly and completely for everyone. No issues. And that brings up for me um, when Kate was talking about how when you have a person with a disability in your life that people care, and which is true, but that's the problem for me is that when people only care when it affects them, it's just not good enough. It, it just isn't good enough and we have to press the envelope and it's unfortunate that too many people will not do the right thing until they're made to. And that's the example that Paul just gave with this building where it wouldn't even be um, you know, detrit detrimental to them cost-wise to fix this problem and yet they have absolutely no interest in doing so. And that's one of the problems that we have in society where people have this why should I care attitude where they have to be convinced that they should care about people that they don't know or um, people that are not involved in their lives because I find that attitude to be far too prevalent. And uh, for those of us who can and are willing to speak, uh, that's where I, I find that we have, we need to share our voices and to share our narratives and to unfortunately tr convince people that they need to care about others, whether or not it personally affects them. But as a society, we are all served better when we care about one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very well said, ah. Ingrid. And I wonder, uh, whether our best hope is educating the kids. Always. first. Always, because when it, 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 it's not a big issue or, or not something extraordinary for them to be around uh, persons who are different from them for whatever reason, whether it's disability, whether it's race, whether it's, it's, it's religion, whether it's anything, then as they grow up, it, 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 it's also, it, it's, it's a no-brainer for them. They won't be thinking, oh, well, well, how could that person do this that we face when we try to go for jobs? They'll be like, of course it's not a problem because they're accustomed to being around a variety of people and seeing that people do things differently and that um, you just have to be more creative and think out of the box and be more solutions-oriented. Experiences, my experiences in the world as by my power chair, in my case, how does it help me uh, creating a world without ableism? Well, I've, I've helped to, well, I haven't, haven't been able to eliminate ableism. However, my, I believe that I, I've done, I play a, a part and still play a part in, in reducing it, meaning it less uh, dominant and like just being just being present and letting people not I want to bring well my character out before the wheelchair, even though the wheelchair is obviously right there and can't you know, it's got visible. I always make a point to demonstrate my own character and personality first and then uh, make people less, make, feel, make them feel less intimidated by the presence of my chair. 
Right. Yeah, so they, they see you rather than seeing the mobility aid. That's right. Mm -hmm. There's also okay. power, though, to, like, I feel like I want people to know, I want people, yes, I want people to see me as a person, but I think I also want people to see my disability because I feel like it's such an integral part of myself that I don't want to erase it. Yes, I want to show myself and be treated um, equitably, but I also want to let people know, like, hey, I am disabled. Like, let's have a conversation about that. But I agree, Ingrid. It's, it, like, even if it starts with people only caring, like, because they know you, it, it's not enough. Like, we need, this is why, why there needs to be things like enforceable legislation for making things um, accessible and things like that. Well, I want to get back to what you're saying about educating children and, and youngest people. And, and uh, I've had experiences where a kid would come up to me and, and politely look and ask questions about the fact that I'm in a power chair and use one. And most, most, the majority of the experiences I've had, they're in awe and they're, and they're fascinated by, by uh, my parents in a chair and, and, they, and they ask questions and want to know more and might tell them. And, even uh, sometimes when it might feel awkward and question like um, the fact that I'm not walking and they want to know how I how I get around or how I feel about it and I might say having this chair has helped me a lot and it's they're my legs and and my way it's been a I've been okay with it. It's another way of getting around. Yeah, I agree, Donald. I find that like when kids ask questions, it's from a place of just like they're asking questions about um, how the world works and things like that. They're they're asking from like a very pure place and a good intention place, and the problem comes when the parents are the are the ones saying like, oh no, don't ask those questions because yeah. then the kids learn that they're not okay to, it's not okay to be curious. I, I have um, one of my nephews, he, one time he was asking me about my walker and he was like, um, he was like, oh, why do you need, why do you use that? And I said, oh, it helps me walk. And then he said, oh, but you have feet. And I was like, yeah, I have feet too. And then he was like, okay. And he just accepted it, right? Like it's he—he he didn't need to know all the other questions. Mm. He was just like happy. He believed me and was happy with my answer. That's it exactly. I get kids asking me that too about my vision and why. Why do you have that stick and how does it help you see? Like they just think, what? What do you mean it helps you see or helps you get around? So the, the curiosity is 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 amazing. And like you said, when they ask questions or interested, it's from a pure place, they, they really just want to know and to understand, and it's not a big deal. 
Well, something else I'll throw out that for children again, I've had children come up and and say, point out that I'm uh, short stature physically. And and I could be interpreted as being rude or demeaning. I I usually don't find it that way. It's just them being curious and, and, well, I find that when they, when they ask or they, or they say something like that, I'm thinking that they're connecting. All they want to do is connect. And beyond uh, the level, literally or figuratively, they'll be able to communicate better and they'll be able to see that people, uh, you know, there's a variety out there. Yeah, so kids see uh, in a very pure way the diversity that's around them, and they're totally accepting. Uh, actually, Adam, uh, in the past, you've mentioned concerns that during COVID-19, our visibility is reduced. Yes. And you have concerns that um, that may lead to, as it were, a resurgence of ableism. Definitely will, and I think I think for a while there's going to be some excuses about about COVID and uh, we we should stay home. And I think it's prob we're probably always going to be a little bit. I like to call it COVID shamed until there's immunization until the levels are not are nonchalant and but i still think i'm always probably now i'm gonna have to really earn that you know when i go to shops i might have to uh um ask more for people to help me with my wallet and it'll be a bigger deal. But, you know, I'm going to give other options. I'm going to say, fine, um, if, if it's a problem for you, then I'll be happy. Like, especially at smaller businesses, if they give me an email address, I'll be happy to send them an e-transfer. Absolutely. Um, or even maybe pay by phone. Yeah. Like right now, I, I'm ordering through a lot of those delivery apps, oh, which yeah. is fine. But when I'm able to get out and about some of those same restaurants, maybe I do want to do like a takeout pickup. I'd still like to use some other format for payment, but I don't want to have to always um spend spend the money uh, um to tip a driver and stuff and i'm i want to be the one driving and picking up my own meals yes i agree i, I agree yeah. there's a thing they talk about the disability paradox that even as you face increasing levels of disability, your quality of life very often goes up. 
Uh, Paul? Yes. If it's okay, I, I would like to expound on a point that you brought up earlier, um, which is really interesting to me. It's the first time I've heard the term, but I totally understand it. The disability paradox, um, yes. where you spoke about how the more um, the more that you uh, lose ability in one way, though, but your quality of life um, is increasing or perhaps mm. that you're finding ability in other ways, which is something that I feel that I've experienced um, with the disorder that I have, RP, which is a very gradual and slow loss of vision, which has been very difficult mm. in some ways. But on the other hand, I also find um, a real matching or equal level of personal development at the same time um and like you spoke about how the quality of your life um increases or even in your um appreciation of things i find that i'm not stressed by certain things that, that i might have been before when my vision was better because it's just not it's an, an, an it's a non existent or, or problem for me anymore and I, I don't worry about how people look I don't necessarily always <laughs> worry about how I look or, or stress about certain things that I did before or attention to more uh, when I had um, a greater vision. and like Kate was also talking about how for her also um, she found that um, her disability built her character. And I find that with myself too, that you, you know, that I have um, more appreciation of people that I see beyond uh, certain things that, you know, a, a lot of, or the general public tend to focus on and I'm better able to narrow into the soul of the person and to focus on that and not objectify them as to how they look or how they do things. Mm. And yeah, so I find joy um, in my disability, and I find um, there's a lot of great things. I'm not sitting around uh, necessarily worrying about certain things that I probably would have if I had the full scope of my vision. And I'm not trying to downplay the difficulties, but I think we never get to highlight the great things that we have within having a disability. Okay, I think that's a wonderful place to wind up. Um, I think we've all recognized that we are privileged, we are lucky in having these variety of experiences to talk around and share with others. I think it's time to say thank you to everybody. Yes, thank you. Thank you all. And we've had a great discussion. Thank you for listening to Breaking Expectations, a podcast about the joys of disability. This podcast was made possible with the support of the Centre for Independent Living in Toronto and the Ontario Trillium Fund. Please subscribe to our channel and visit our Facebook and Instagram pages. We'd love to hear from you, so feel free to leave a comment below. Remember that if you don't have a disability now, if you're lucky enough, you'll live long enough to get one. Goodbye till next time.